Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 207 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Luke chapter 22, and our focus is in kind of a weird place today. What does Satan do? What is the devil's job? How many people does Satan possess in the Bible? Well, every day we go through a portion of scripture and seek to understand it, ask questions of the text, and discuss it. Welcome aboard. And I do want to welcome some new listeners from Oslo, Norway, Groningen, Netherlands, Northern Ireland, United Kingdom, Nairobi, Kenya, Sindh, Pakistan, Parts Unknown, Philippines, Monterey, California, San Diego, California, and Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And we've got a long chapter today, so let's jump right to it. It is a weird topic today, I know, but honestly, there's so many misconceptions and unbiblical views of the devil or Satan out there that it might be worthy to spend just a few moments today on what the Bible teaches us about Satan the accuser. But first, a brief and important word on the Jesus key to greatness. Now, the world we live in, by and large, lionizes and praises those who are served, those who lead, those who are bosses, those who are higher ups. But Jesus sets an entirely different standard for greatness in front of us in today's passage. In verses 20 through 27, it says, A dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors, but it's not like that among you. On the contrary... Whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So Jesus gives us an entirely different model. He is among us as a servant, and he is the greatest. So that gives us what we should aspire to. Now, in today's text, we see two significant activities of Satan. First, we send him enter into Judas the betrayer. And the Bible doesn't use the word possess, but it just certainly sounds like a similar thing there. Verse 3 says, Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Now, I said before, the Bible doesn't use the word possess. Indeed, in most instances where this is talked about, uh, the word daemonizomai is used, which was pretty well translated as demonized. Uh, but this isn't just any old demon. This is Satan himself, and he's not omnipresent, so he can, at the most, possess one person at a time, presumably. Is there anybody else in all of Scripture that Satan possesses? Well, the only possibility I see is the beast spoken of in the book of Revelation, which uh, Revelation 13.2 says, The beast I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, most scholars think that description of the beast is it, it's a person, and those things, leopard, bear, and lion's mouth, are sort of metaphorical But apparently the dragon, who is Satan, does appear to empower the beast, but does not possess or enter into him that I can find. Now, what else does Satan do? What does the devil do? How is he our enemy? What sort of things does he do? And I want to give you a list of like uh, 17 things I found in scripture that Satan or the devil does. And uh, first of all, Satan, the devil, just different names for the same person. Uh, the same being, I should say. And this is probably not an 
comprehensive list. There's probably a few other things, but here's at least several. Number one, he incites people to sin. First Chronicles 21.1 says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to count the people of Israel. Now, similarly, uh, we see that he tempts people to sin. Insight, tempt, really very much the same thing. Mark 1.13 says Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. So Satan is an inciter. He's a tempter. Number two, he places his people, evil people, into the church in various positions in the world to cause trouble. We learn about this from the parable of the wheat and the weeds in Matthew 13, 38 through 39, which says the field is the word and the good world and the good seed. These are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Number three, Satan wars against people hearing and responding to God's word. He tries to prevent it. Mark 4, 14 and 15 says, the sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. Next, number five. No, I'm sorry, number four. Satan accuses people, sometimes falsely, sometimes with truth mixed in, but always with an intent to steal, kill, and destroy. We see this in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3. He showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Number five. He binds up people with affliction and sickness. Luke 13, 16 says, Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day, says Jesus? Similarly, he keeps them under tyranny and captivity. Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. Number six, he sifts people, S-I-F-T-S, taking them through difficult trials in the hope that they will fail. Luke 22.31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift to you like wheat. Number seven, he lies in murder, steals, kills, and destroys. John 8, 44 says, you are the fa of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Number eight, he possesses people like we've already seen. Uh, in John 13, 27, it says, after Judas eat, ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him what you're doing, do quickly. Number nine, he helps and leads people to lie. Acts 5, 3 says, Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Number 10, he schemes and plots to destroy and foil Christians. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, So that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Number 11, he disguises himself. 2 Corinthians 11.14, For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Number 12, he hinders and works against the plans of God's people. 2 Thessalonians 2.18 says, We wanted to come to you again, even I, Paul, but Satan hindered us. Number 13, 
He can create powerful signs, miracles, and wonders, and also construct elaborate deceptions. So says 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, which says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. Number 14, he leads people away from Jesus. 1 Timothy 5, 15, For some have already turned away to follow Satan, says Paul. Terrifyingly, number 15, he holds the power of death. Hebrews 2.14 says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil. Number 16, he prowls, hunts, and seeks to devour people. So says 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And finally, number 17, he rules and reigns as a king. He's not the king of kings, but he does have authority. He does rule. Revelation chapter 2, verse 13 says, I know where you live, this is Jesus speaking, where Satan's throne is. So Satan has a throne. He rules, not in hell. He rules on the earth. And Ephesians 2, 2 says Satan is known as the prince or the ruler of the air. So how do we stand against such a terrifying and skilled foe who is doing all of those terrible things? Well, James 4 tells us we don't have the power in ourselves, but verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, James 4, 7, and 8 is a terrific spiritual warfare Bible passage. Speaking of the Bible passages, let's read our passage. It's Luke chapter 22, verse 1. The festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and temple police how he could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver. So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them when the crowd was not present. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them. When you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went out and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me, for the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to them at that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be and who was going to do it. 
Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as a father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. He also said to them, when I sent you out without money bag, traveling bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they said. Then he said to them, but now whoever has a money bag should take it and also a traveling bag and whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to its fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. That is enough, he told them. He went out and made his way, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. While he was speaking, suddenly a mob came, and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, No more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police, and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me, but this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looking closely at him, she said, This man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, Yeah, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, This man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. After blindfolding him, they kept asking, Prophesy, who was it that hit you? 
and they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. When daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before their Sanhedrin. So they said, If you are the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, If I do tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, You say that I am. Why do we need any more testimony, they said, since we've heard it ourselves from his mouth. Well, friends, let's close out today with our Bible memory verse for July. It's Luke seven forty-seven through 48 Jesus said, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. And that house was well built because it was built on the foundation of the teachings of the Word of God. May our house be that as well. Good day, friends, and Godspeed.